0: Welcome to the special bulletin review sponsored by Decision Lens. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin.
1: Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Kevin Connor. He's the Chief Product Officer at Decision Lens. Kevin, good to have you with us.
0: Thanks, Tom. Nice to be with you.
1: And let's talk about that big, ugly hairball of a process of five years, the entire short range, long range planning process that the Defense Department and its various components are continuously in this is something they never get out of and because uh, it's, it's five years and right. so the short term long term what does that look like to you and to the outside
0: yeah so uh what, what we've noticed i think one of the best analogies you can make to the short range long range dimension of it is to think of the mike tyson quote about uh you know everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth right and it's And it's kind of the long-term planning aspect of it is really an ability to vision out what often includes a component of transformation, which in those kind of timeframes is happening even more and more rapidly due to technology development. And really being able to manage that in the short term with the puts and takes of urgent matters that arise or changing conditions. So it's very hard for people. It used to be very easy to sort of sit down and lock and load a long-term plan and execute against it. But the modern world as it is, has really brought us into a a phase where that long-term plan is an ever evolving series of short iterative plans. And so what we've tried to do is build a solution that helps people to really get into that, to understand that there's a reconciliation of the longer term view and vision with the shorter term decisions required to stay on track and adapt to changing conditions.
1: Yes, it seems like almost across the board, DOD leaders talk about the tremendous amount of R&D that they're doing. And in fact, if you look at the president's budget request for 2023, it includes a big uptick in research and development spending. But then they also express the need to develop and deploy, really deploy these technologies quickly. And that's where they run into trouble, because often something could be ready and there is demand on the part of a DOD component for whatever it is that was developed. But this year there's no money for it because it's part of a five-year POM.
0: That's right, yeah. And so, so these challenges are, are really burdening organizations with the ability to have that longer longer range view of where they're trying to go. And I mean, you really have this challenge of having to reconcile you know, existing assets that you have to maintain and have to be deployable in the interim while you're developing new technologies and new assets to deploy. And how do you transition and train and do all the things that are necessary to move that in concert? It's really a difficult puzzle to solve. It's a Rubik's cube times 10, right? And, and what a, what's really needed is some way to be able to not have that be an emergency data call that happens once a year where everybody gets in a room and they collect a bunch of spreadsheets and they confound some sort of budget and they put it together and look at it and go, what does it really mean? We don't know. There's a lot of disparate pieces. Some of the data is not standardized. Some of the sources are not um, consistent. And trying to piece that together is is really a challenge. So when they try to bring the R&D money in to have the most efficient impact and be most effective at at moving the needles necessary, it really requires this ability to, to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. How do you manage the ongoing current state of affairs with the emerging directions that you need to move in and that that really takes a steady hand on the wheel and a, a tremendous amount of visibility into the data that just typically has not been available in the past like having to drill down into spreadsheets to find these numbers of what's funded and what's not funded and how they relate to each other and what's dependent on what for success and the current state of play and all of that you know that that is a real fire drill in the old spreadsheet world of uh, data management so
1: and how does the color of money question uh, affect all of this? Because very often total dollars don't mean anything because they might be a variety of different colors of money, which means they're restricted in how you can interplay with them.
0: That's right. And so uh, you know, what we've seen again, this is why you know, the way we've tried to construct our frameworks and our ability to bring a solution to the DOD space is to really help people be able to plan at those higher levels. And at those high levels, be able to see on a total dollar basis, what are the kind of things that we should be doing? But then that reconciliation of how you actually allocate the money across time and across those pools of money and line up the starts and stops of all the different initiatives so that they actually have the impact desired at the desired time is is where the puzzle building really comes in. So what our solution really tries to do, it's almost like if you think about the, uh, you know, increasingly zooming in on the coastline on a map, right? Uh, the picture is never really complete, right? You have the highest level view of it. You can get a little bit closer and start to flow the money across time by colors of money. But ultimately, you have to lay out that plan for spending that money by year. And in each year that you're doing that, be able to have visibility into, are these projects getting started on time? Are they achieving their objectives and milestones? Are they really you know, allocating and using the money as desired? Or they, do they have large spend overruns? And all of that really creates a changing environment in the very short run that requires reallocation of that money, right? So money doesn't get spent. Something doesn't start on time. What do we do with that accrual of money now to continue the mission, right? So you really have to go from this highest level visibility of what does this all look like on a big picture basis to how do you execute that down within the year? And that increasing level of granularity requires an increased level of transparency of the data and a better ability to connect those different planning phases of high level down to actual allocation and spend of the money.
1: And you mentioned the drill of the spreadsheets and the requirements to drill down into those and dig down into those. Is it, it's bad enough if data is only in spreadsheets, but is it only in spreadsheets? Do they have other sources? PowerPoints often a lot of doctrinal information is not in a spreadsheet format.
0: That's right. A lot of times what we'll see is proposals come in in presentations. A lot of reporting gets done in presentations. You know, a lot of tables will get cut and clipped from Excel into a PowerPoint. So that the data becomes very sort of, you know, goes through this generations of how it moves through communication where it's not in a centralized repository where people are accessing it necessarily. There are systems. Um, Those systems for obvious security reasons can be difficult to harvest data from as a supplier like us, a software supplier, sometimes being able to touch those systems is difficult. So there's human error factors where that data comes out and it has to be uh, validated and then put into a system and where possible we like to integrate because that makes it very easy to get the true source data into the system. But normalizing and standardizing that data is such a key part to really being able to do this effectively because what happens is we've seen organizations in the past that will have presentations come in in all different formats for the requirements. It'll come in in a PowerPoint, or it'll come in in a spreadsheet, or it'll come in in a Word document. It'll come in in a variety of forms. And then somebody is really playing the role of, you know, how do we normalize all of this, make sense of it, be able to see what it says and use it to inform decisions. And that can be incredibly challenging, as you can imagine. So what we've tried to do is create an ability to get that into somewhat of a standardized format so people have some visibility to it
1: then the implication is that the tool that you offer has the ability to look at unstructured information and somehow translate it and normalize it as data available to planners.
0: Right, and, and what we've tried to do with that, which is, it's a very interesting problem, right? Because part of what happens is that um, the data seems unwieldy and unstructured, but the problem in essence really isn't. You know, The, the problem actually is very structured. And it's a problem that we all face. You can make the analogy to your own personal investment portfolio of a 401k plan or something, right? You're, you're trying to get as much value as you can for the money spent. You're trying to get the best cost benefit ratio. there. you are trying to do that at some managed and reasonable risk profile. And you're trying to diversify across different categories of spend or different asset classes. And so the problem structure is very common. The, the problem is that it's not often thought of in that way. So what we've tried to do And our solution is is bring in this framework that allows you to have total customization in the variables that you're using because from agency to agency or division to division, you may be looking at the problem slightly differently, but they all fall into those categories, right? So you have your value uh, variables, you have your cost fields and your your cost um, pools and colors of money. You have some sort of risk measures or probability of successes or likelihood of completion or value realization. And then you have the categories of investment type. And as long as we can map that seemingly unstructured data to that structure, then we can give you a very common way of looking at it with purpose-built analytics that understand the name of the game, drive the value up, keep the cost online, manage the risk profile, and diversify across the asset classes.
1: And what about the issue of data being the that you're using being the trusted or the incontrovertible source of truth? Because you could have the same spreadsheet in five different locations and they're not all synchronized. That's right. How do you attack the issue of making sure that the data that you do finally use and normalize and analyze is the correct data?
0: That's right. So the, the challenge there has been, you know, spreadsheet version control on a laptop is again, right. A very very difficult thing. It's gotten better as you get into SharePoint and SharePoint keeps maybe a current version of the file and you can, uh, version control that file. You can see the last date it was updated or modified, but that's a little bit different than what we're trying to do because we're trying to take data in a way that is very friendly with Excel. In fact, our interface and our solution looks a lot like that. It's very tabular. Um, it's familiar for users not to have to make a big, you know, conversion in UI behavior to be able to, you know, sort of adopt our solution, um, which, is, which is helpful for them. But that ability to bring that data into that purpose-built framework so that you can apply the analytics necessary to inform the decision-making that's necessary. Um, then we run an audit log in our solution that really helps with that. So anytime a user updates a number, it registers in the audit log who it was changed by and when it was changed. And there's a sort of a running tally list of being able to keep the latest source of truth on that data you know, available to everybody to see and for everybody to know and to be able to have traceability for it. So you know, we've tried to get it out of um, you know what's the version of the spreadsheet and for what's the latest version of the number.
1: And defense planners sometimes say that they don't want to be overloaded with data, that they don't need all of the data that's in the defense department to make a decision about this platform or that software development or that troop level requirement that might be needed in an out year or so. And so how do you attack or what's the best way to attack the the relevance so that only the relevant data is brought in for a particular analytical need and you don't end up overwhelming your system with, with just too much data
0: yeah that's an outstanding question and a great insight. Uh, in fact m- my experience has been and you know I, I did the year uh, did the, sort of the, did the job as a planner for you know a number of years previously right so before I was a decision lens customer at one time before I came to be the chief product officer here. Uh, Back when the solution was very fledgling and in its earliest stages, I was a classic early adopter who kind of glued it together with some scotch tape and rubber bands and some chewing gum to try to get it to be able to work with some other systems. And while I was doing that, I learned a really important lesson about what happens, and that is that there's a tendency to really over-elaborate the the problem, right? And if you think about that, let's just take a a simple example. Say you have 50 projects you're evaluating, and you decide that you want to have 50 criteria that you evaluate them by. And by chance, every one of your 50 projects does really, really well on one of those 50 criteria. Well, you've really established nothing. <laughs> you know? Now you have a list of 50 things that all do great on one thing, and you wanna make the argument that they're all fantastic because they do good on that one thing. Well, it, it really is an argument for parsing down the data to sort of a handful rule is probably a pretty good way to think of it, right? There's probably a few really important variables that move the needle. And that tendency to over elaborate really is an insecurity in planning that we'll miss something or if we don't capture everything, we won't be able to make a good decision. And while a lot of that data provides either, you know, context or it's sort of a metadata and important to help inform people for thinking that thinking probably relates to a few important variables. You know, and so the more that we can help them sort of cattle shoot into a framework that limits the number of variables that are really you know, there's a, that old term key performance indicator. The word key is because they're key. There's a, there's a few that really make a difference and many that don't, right? And so there's this insecurity and a tendency to really, we've got to capture everything. We've got to get it all in the system. And we allow for that. We allow you to bring it in. We allow you to access it on a metadata basis. But um, when it comes to the decisioning, we really like to try to guide them to pare it down a bit so that they can really have those, those ones that really make the difference be the deciding factors.
1: All right. On that note, we're going to take a short break. My guest today is Kevin Connor. He's the Chief Product Officer at Decision Lens. I'm Tom Temin on this special bulletin review, Modernizing Federal Government Planning, sponsored by Decision Lens here on Federal News Network. How can
0: the United States be considered an innovation leader with a government planning process dictated by manual spreadsheets? This high-tech country deserves a high-tech government. Decision Lens Software is here to transform and bring innovation back to the capital. Organizations using Decision Lens achieve operational efficiency. They gain the agility to pivot as priorities shift and the confidence to stand behind an expertly executed budget. Give your agency a competitive advantage. Learn more at decisionlens.com.
1: Welcome back to our special bulletin review, modernizing federal government planning, sponsored by Decision Lens here on Federal News Network. My guest today is Kevin Connor. He's the chief product officer at Decision Lens, I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, And let's talk about the topic of forming budget requests, because this is a game that is as old as government. It gets more complicated and more, I don't know, laden, it seems, with each passing generation, nowhere more than in the Defense Department. And so with the visibility into data, with really good analytical possibilities for all of the data that might be relevant to a given program or issue then can there be improvement in the way DOD planners go about translating their plans into requests that one will have credibility with the, those from whom they're requesting and also mm-hmm. actually support what it is that's important uh, for their next round of budgeting?
0: Yes, uh, that's, that's a, a great question. The, the interesting aspect of what happens with budgets is oftentimes, the requests will either come forward in a bottom-up way, where you know they sort of do a, a data call. Everybody submit your proposals and requirements, and they all come in, and they get the big stack of requirements, and they start to look through it. And everybody says, "Well, this would be really good to do, and this is something we must do. It's an absolute non-negotiable." And these are some things that would be really nice if we could get after. Um, and that list sometimes happens before the budget is finalized, before that top-line number is known in terms of how much spend is available. Or conversely, there's the, the problem where that, that budget is thought to be one thing based on an incremental adjustment from the previous year as a planning value, but then the real number comes in and it takes a five or a 10% cut. Um, not often do you see a windfall, but there there are times when that happens. But the ability to plan in that level of uncertainty year on year is very difficult to do if you don't have somewhat of a sort of continuous running log of what your initiatives are and how you process them in get them into the fold, evaluate them and consider them for the role they can play in your investment portfolio of opportunities and requirements to to meet the mission. And if you can't do that because you have an isolation on what you did last year and what you're doing next year, and you don't have that, you know, back to our earlier discussion about the five-year view um, and how you keep that sort of a rolling planning horizon going, You know, it's very difficult to have what's been going on and what you visioned for five years out and form next year's budget if each activity becomes sort of an isolated snapshot. One year, you know, it's a one-year budget. Every budget's a one-year budget, right? I mean, ultimately, you've got a five-year plan and you got a one-year budget. Um, That reconciliation of those two things requires having some ability to be able to look forward and backward at the same time from whatever point you're at. So what we've tried to do is, you know, um, planning has always been thought of as sort of traditionally this, you know, annual planning event, right? You know, you, you hear it strategic planning time, right? It's, it's budget season, all those kinds of things. We're really trying to move organizations that despite those structural and procedural elements in terms of how the money gets um, determined and allocated, that they really need to be thinking about the plan itself in parallel to that and, and a bit more dynamically and with more adaptability. And so our solution has tried to do that so that the activities that they're currently engaged in they sort of know the current state of they know how much money they've spent they know if the money is is meeting its obligation requirements and such and all of that is moving through the pipe and they kind of know where they are right now so as that next season is coming up you already have a good lay of the land because you're in the system and tracking it and you start to layer your next plan on top of and in sequence to that previous plan. So the things that are continuing continue, the new things that have come in in the interim are in consideration, and you can start to continue to formulate and adapt that plan forward. So, you know, it really increasingly to do it well requires a, an ability to really think, you know, as a software developer, it's interesting to think about the agile environment that you know software gets developed in, right? Two-week sprints where you, you set some requirements, you put people against it, you knock out a feature, and you try to deliver value at the end of two weeks, and then you do it all over again. And you hope that that thing doesn't iterate off or vector off on some strange direction. You've got to try to keep it culled in and on path. Well, you almost want to do that and live with this sort of annual planning framework process so that you can know where you are, be adapting, and always be able to inform those choices about how the money gets spent. So sometimes it's bottom up. Um, and it can really help inform the more visibility and, and uh, ability you have to sort of track the state of affairs of those initiatives. But the other challenge is, is sometimes you get a number and you just have to pack the suitcase is really what happens, right? The number comes in, they have the initiatives and they're like, well, we have to do more than we have money to do. And then you really just have to fit them all in. Some things take a cut, right? Certain budget item, items or, or line items or um, colors of money will take a cut in order to make the whole thing work, right? So it's a it's really an interesting problem to work on from an analytics standpoint for us because the more visibility we can give people into those pivots of how the bottom up should inform the number and how the actual impact of the number allows them to allocate the money to achieve the mission, is is a fascinating problem to play with and one that we're really, you know, spending all our brain power on making better and better.
1: And in packing the suitcase, sometimes you find that Congress gives you more than you wanted for a particular thing but less on something else. And that's a real, that's a real wild card.
0: It is. And, and sometimes they need more than they want. They thought they wanted. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that's often challenging about this is that, you know, uh, as a longtime project manager, I know that no project comes in on schedule and at budget. Right? Most, most projects take longer than expected and cost more than people thought at the outset. And, and so, you know, the, that, that, that's often, uh, that's a great thing to have happen. When you think your project is gonna do X and somebody gives you 20% more, well, that's good. There's the cushion you need probably to get it done. So, so that's the that's the less troubling of the circumstances. The more troubling one is when it comes in a little bit short and then it's really hard to figure out how you actually make, make things work with the limited amount of money. You
1: know? Because DOD people also tend to just simply expect that each year there will be this giant reprogramming request. And there's this big effort to find out where the reprogramming needs to happen. Then it's rolled up into a DOD-wide kind of request. It goes to the Hill, et cetera, et cetera. And it takes a long time. Uh, the reprogramming does get done. But it seems like an admission that it's almost impossible to budget accurately. The sense that there's an opportunity to maybe get away from that, that, that tired process, which everybody mm-hmm. just acknowledges is a way of life.
0: Right. And it's become a way of life. Actually, it's an artifact of that, the way the information flows. Right. And and that's one of the things we're really trying to change the game on and, and crack the code on is how do you have better real time information that's influencing, you know, how well you can see if the plan you intended and the vision you aspire toward is being realized. Right. And and in the old way of doing this is very hard to do. Right. You get the spreadsheet at budget season and everybody goes off and the accountants allocate all the money out at the end of the year. You go, where are we? Right. And and then you you have this, you know, whole data call happens again. And it's very difficult to kind of keep track of where you're going and where that vector is moving. So the more the more current that data can be, the more key people have insight to how that money is being allocated and the impact it's having and how well that aligns to the longer term vision. Is it moving all the right needles in the short run? The, you know, the more that we can help them do that, the more that that game should and could change, right? It, it hasn't yet, but I think again, it's sort of an artifact of the way people deal with information and the old constructs that sit around that, right? It's like, well, we don't have time to be looking at the data regularly because it's too hard to collect or it's, it's too hard to parse it and be analytical about. But if you're in a system that allows you to have access and transparency and visibility to that data. And you, can, you know, can can see the impacts on a relatively short-term basis, well, that becomes a lot easier. And so I think really what's gonna happen is it's, it's an interplay between the governance models and, and the information flows. And you know which one is outdated when? I think technology has kind of leaped ahead in a hurry. And I think we're still using some sort of antiquated process and procedural approaches to dealing with that. With more real-time availability of data you you need more nimble decision making and and bodies that can engage on it in that in that fashion
1: and that brings up the question of the ppbe planning programming budgeting execution process i think it started out many 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 years ago as just ppb maybe it was modified i think might have been the nixon administration when they Mm -hmm. added the execution piece right so it's been a glacially moving type of process and now there is a commission ostensibly that's going to look at this, but that commission has like, several years to do its work and then okay. Congress would have to approve of any changes in this, presumably that the I mean, there's a lot that probably the department could do, but it's going a lot of it's going to take congressional approval also or maybe even legislation to en- enable okay. this. So that's a long way off is what I'm trying to yeah. say. Yeah. Is there a way to have this agile look this, that you've been describing at what it is you need to do and this almost continuous planning possibility available from good data planning and good analytics, can that be overlaid on the PPBE we have now to make that old elephant move a little quicker?
0: Yeah, I, I, I really think it can. I think that there's a real opportunity to do that because I don't think that that construct is, is very um, at a high level. I mean, it's very, it's a very good construct, right? Planning, programming, budget, execution, like that makes sense. It's, it's, um, it's sort of in the old school, what they call waterfall thinking about planning, right? Do this, then do that, then do that, then do that, right? There's a sequential kind of a value chain of activities they've laid out there. Um, and, and agile, it tends to be these shorter iterative cycles, um, which would require more like, you know, quarterly updates, and maybe, you know, latest, latest estimates of where things are and changes in budget in a more, you know, fluid fashion uh, where it doesn't get sort of set and locked and, you know, so as, as all that happens, hopefully that we'll be able to get there. The, the execution piece of it is really interesting because, you know, what what what's happened over the years, I've noticed this in organizations I was in in the past, I've had several chances to redesign these kinds of processes over the years. And one thing that's always interesting is everybody focuses on execution first because the execution part is where people can see the tangible impact, right? It's, it's where projects are missing or meeting milestones. It's where money is being over or underspent. It's where people are overtaxed or available to do more work. It's, it's the, all the tangible factors that people can see. So it's the easiest thing to kind of grab onto and try to fix. And oftentimes what happens is people spend a lot of effort program management initiatives, make sure everybody's a PMP, do all the things necessary to make sure you can execute a project well. And then they find out, hey, We're still not getting where we want to be. Then what's going on with that is really it's the upstream issue of, you know, sort of the computer, um, you know, acronym, garbage in, garbage out, right? If, If you're not doing the right things or your decisions are not informed by the right variables or your plan and vision for where you're going is not well formulated and anchored to, then I don't care how good you execute. It doesn't make a difference, right? You can execute a really bad project really well. Right, And that, that's one part of the other part of it that's really critical is are the information flows shaping the trajectory of where we're going so that we are executing against the things that have the most impact. And so we've tried to address the problem to be able to work across that spectrum of helping them formulate the direction, understand the strategy and potential impact, monitor their ability to achieve those milestones, realize those benefits and have that impact and let that inform tighter and tighter cycles of adaptive planning. So you know, that it's, uh, it's a framework that can work because it's true. It's almost like new product development, right? You think stuff up, you figure out if you can do it, you do it. So planning is the same kind of thing. You, you plan, you kind of lay things out, you, you find the money and you sure. allocate the money and you do it. You
1: know, well, so. the mission is certainly worth the effort, isn't it?
0: And without a doubt.
1: All right. And I want to thank to today's guest. Let me thank today's guest. Kevin Connor is the chief product officer at Decision Lens. Thanks so much for being with us.
0: My pleasure, Tom. Thank you very much for having us.
1: I'm Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Decision Lens.
0: Thank you for listening to the special bulletin review sponsored by Decision Lens on Federal News Network.